back in Urbana-Champaign. I about said Champaign-Urbana, but then I saw the University of Illinois down the road, and I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. When you're in Urbana, yeah. they call it Urbana-Champaign. <laughs> I don't. I'm from Champaign. Okay. Hell, yeah. That's what I say, too. So, uh, Evan, welcome back to the show. For folks that don't remember you or maybe didn't catch your first uh, times on the show, can you go ahead and reintroduce yourself to our audience? Thanks, Cole. I'm uh, Evan Bruno. I'm a partner here at Bruno Law Offices in Urbana. Uh, we practice criminal defense throughout central Illinois, state and federal courts. Um, I have a personal interest in uh, our um, war against marijuana and other drugs as it relates to, you know, uh, bringing a little bit of common sense and um, 21st century thinking into the equation. Uh, I'm not a warrior in any sense, but uh, I do think that um, there are forces that are very stubborn that are kind of bringing, uh, always struggling to kind of pull us back towards a Nancy Reagan style dogma of uh, everything's bad and it's bad because it's bad and we don't need to think any further beyond that. Yeah. And uh, that's why I'm talking to you. (laughs) Well, thank you for your time today. Uh, I just want to, I feel like this is a good place to set the stage before we go uh, anywhere else today. I remember I found you because something to the effect online, it said uh, cannabis defense attorney and the year was we were just talking about it it was 2020 because it was like a little bit after covid i think you said before vaccines i can't remember exactly the timing but the point is cannabis was supposed supposed to have been legal by then so i was confused as to why there were cannabis defense attorneys anymore and so uh i thought that would be an interesting place for folks that haven't seen our episodes um can you remind the folks like of the fact what I'm alluding to. I'm, the I'm, myth of legalization. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um, I had mentioned this um, on our previous talks, but <clears throat> I think there had been kind of a uh, understanding amongst people that decriminalization is like a step towards legalization. And my take on it, after having seen Illinois, which claims to be one of the most progressive states on cannabis, uh, what legalization meant in Illinois, it's really, you know, decriminalization is the goal beyond legalization. So what legalization did in Illinois is it basically laid out, it took all of the existing cannabis laws, right? did not repeal any cannabis law. All of the laws that say it's a crime to possess cannabis it's a crime to possess with intent to deliver cannabis. All of the laws that said, you know, it's a misdemeanor for this much, then it becomes a felony for this much, then a higher felony for this much. Right. All of those laws remain on the books. What legalization in Illinois did is basically it said, it like extended a, a tightrope out over those laws and said, if you follow these specific instructions yes. and you jump through these specific hoops and you tap dance on these specific steps on this tightrope, you will not fall off into those existing uh, remaining criminal cannabis laws. Right. But that's not legalization 
or that might be legalization, but it's not decriminalization because mm-hmm. all of the crimes still exist. Yes. They just extend this little tightrope out that says, you don't fall into those crimes if you do this little dance and you avoid all these pitfalls. But what that resulted in is um, a handful, I don't know how to quantify it, but probably a dozen different ways where pretty innocuous, innocent use or possession of cannabis has the exact same penalties and consequences as it did before legalization because maybe you have not um, stayed on the tightrope as much as you should. Yes. And a lot of people, I've mentioned that even since the last time we talked, I've talked with prosecutors about this and I've kind of explained my position on how on this world we're living in under legalization and the attitude I've gotten is like, well, how hard is it to just stay on that tightrope? Come on. <laughs> but, um, it is hard. And, you know, in the criminal law, you kind of the system or prosecutors, however you want to put it, kind of, um, expect perfection and not, perfectly staying on that tightrope, you know, not perfectly abiding by all those conditions that go on possession or use of cannabis. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you just, you're just a damn criminal because you can't just keep, you can't, you know, how hard is it just to obey our rules? Right. Which is, which has always been the case. You know, how hard is it just not to smoke cannabis? Mm -hmm. How hard is it just not to like possess it? Um, don't, I don't want you to come crying to me. Right. But the problem is we're in a state where we say it's legal. We say we're progressive on cannabis, mm-hmm. but um, we still have more ways now to get in trouble, criminal trouble for cannabis than we did before 2020. Yes. Yes. Which is the problem. Yeah. So what decriminalization would mean as opposed to legalization, mm-hmm. decriminalization would be essentially... Cannabis is no longer something to be dealt with through criminal law. Right. And there are, maybe there's things you can and can't do. We can debate how far that should go, but when it comes to something like cannabis, but essentially it says, look, even if you fall off the tightrope, you're not like, maybe you've messed up. Maybe there'll be some penalties that the government will impose, but we're not going to deal with it through the criminal law. Right. And the criminal law being the branch of the government that can take away your liberty mm-hmm. and can say, um, we're going to put you in a cage yep. and uh, we're going to take away your right to um, live out in society or we're going to put you on probation and assign you to a government babysitter who, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't mind your P's and Q's can then you know, ask the judge to put you in jail. So um, I don't know where that came from. The idea that decriminalization is like uh, a baby step towards legalization. But I think what we've learned in Illinois is decriminalization is like the ultimate goal. Yeah. To where you say like, look, you can put rules on cannabis, Mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, I, I think we talked one during one of our conversations about, I wish cannabis was treated more like tomatoes than it was. Yeah. Heroin, but sure. whatever. Okay, so say the government <laughs> wants to regulate it. Don't hold, don't you know? But put some more tools in the toolbox than just criminal prosecution through states' attorneys' offices right. in the county. Right. That was my big beef with what we're calling legalization now. Yeah, 
And one of the things you said, it's like, so the tightrope, it's, it's hard to do the dance or hard to stay on the tightrope, whichever, you know, analogy we want to use. Definitely in many cases, it's hard and we can, we can talk about that. But in some cases, my favorite one that we'll be talking about today, it's arguably impossible. Right. And I'm talking about odor proof, um, the odor proof requirement and the vehicle transport. Is that Right. So yeah. it's a unlawful possession of cannabis by a motorist or by a passenger or a driver. Um, now that's even that for that, the tightrope arguably doesn't even apply because that's mm. new mm. with the, uh, so let me go through the history. There's a law yes. in Illinois under the vehicle code. It's not under the uh, criminal code. It's under the vehicle code mm-hmm. that essentially says it's a crime under the vehicle code. The vehicle code is what contains basically any crime that has to do with a car. DUIs, reckless driving, driving on a suspended license, uh, vehicular homicide, those are all under the vehicle code. Mm -hmm. When Illinois became a medical cannabis state, before recreational, um, the General Assembly, the legislature in its wisdom, created a law that basically said, uh, the title of the law, it's a criminal statute, was possession of medical cannabis in a motor vehicle. Okay. And that law basically said uh, it's illegal to transport medical cannabis in a motor vehicle unless it's in a sealed, uh, child-proof, odor-resistant container mm-hmm. or odor-proof container, child-resistant, odor-proof container. When legalization, in quotes, happened in uh, 2020, in January 1st, 2020, there was a new law that applied to recreational possession of adult use cannabis in a motor vehicle. And that law requires that anyone possessing cannabis in a motor vehicle have that cannabis in a, see, I should have this memorized at this point, but it's a, uh, as of right now, it's a sealed or resealable yes. child resistant odor proof cannabis container. Right. If you don't check all those boxes for however for whatever container you have your cannabis in. Mm-hmm. It is a class A misdemeanor, which is the same level of offense as a DUI or domestic battery or theft. It's punishable by a year in jail. Yeah. And most importantly, in terms of how does this matter to actual people in Illinois on the ground, is the most important thing is to to explain this, you gotta kinda take a step back. Um People have their person, their houses, and in today's world, their vehicles, which are areas that, you know, the government usually shouldn't search unless they have a good reason. In the vehicle context, so says the United States Supreme Court from decades back, uh, the vehicles are different. Um, You don't need a search warrant to search a vehicle. You just need probable cause. And probable cause can be probable cause of basically any crime. Um, before the police can search a vehicle. Mm -hmm. So with this odor proof, child resistant cannabis container rule, um, if you are pulled over in Illinois for say speeding or tailgating or tinted windows or a loud muffler, you know, rolling through a stop sign, whatever. Um, and the police officer can detect or say that he or she detects the odor of marijuana, right? That is probable cause that you've committed a crime. Even though it's legal to possess marijuana, it's illegal to transport it in a container from which it can be smelled. So if an officer just says, I smell marijuana, um, 
that gives them probable cause to search the car. And, and, you know, another way it could go is um, if an officer asks a driver, do you have marijuana in this car? They're not asking the driver, have you committed a crime or are you committing a crime? Mm -hmm. Because having marijuana is no longer illegal in a car. Right. But if the driver says, yeah, I've got some weed in, in my car, the officer then might be tempted to say, right. oh, I can smell it. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you've committed a crime. Right. Not, not I think you might be committing a crime, but you've by definition committed a crime because if I can smell it, it's not in an odor-proof container. And if it's not in an odor-proof container, you are committing a violation of, tra of illegal transportation of cannabis. And so I've had multiple cases since legalization, since this law has been in effect, um, primarily out of um, a certain county immediately south of Champaign County, which is where the, for whatever reason, where the county sheriff and the Illinois State Police like to congregate to do their vehicle stops. And uh, I've had a gun case and a money laundering case, all because... The only reason that these became criminal cases uh, for a gun or for money laundering is because the officer said, I can smell that cannabis. It's not being transported properly. And in Illinois and basically, I think, in, uh, under the U.S. Supreme Court and I assume in most states, uh, the police can arrest you regardless of um, how, quote unquote, serious the criminal offense is. So they can arrest you and tow your car. And when they tow a car, they have the right to do what's called an inventory search, which means they can toss the whole car and search the whole car. Yeah. That's under the justification of, well, we want to safeguard your property and make sure that you don't claim that we've taken anything or anything's been damaged. So mm. um, even if the only suspicion that a police officer or a state trooper or a county sheriff has is that someone's violated this provision of the vehicle code, mm -hmm. uh, of I can smell the cannabis you're allowed to have the cannabis, but if I can smell it, you're right. not allowed to have it that way. <laughs> right. So if the cop has that probable cause um, that it's not in an, in an odor-proof container, it's not being transported properly, they can toss the whole car. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, even if they, even if, um, say, the driver were to say, yeah, it's right here, I have the cannabis in this, uh, I have the cannabis in this old uh, prescription pill container. Mm -hmm. which is child resistant. It's got the child resistant top. Um, it's sealed. Uh, is that not good enough? If the officer says, I can smell it, mm -hmm. the officer can then effectuate an arrest, put yeah. the person in handcuffs, take them to jail, make them post bond because they've committed a class A misdemeanor punishable mm -hmm. by a year in jail. And then when they call the tow company to tow the vehicle to the police impound, they can then search the entire car because they got to make sure that the person's property is being safe. Right. Being, you know, safely kept. So um, the point of this whole uh, rant that I'm going on is that we have a law in Illinois that only exists in Illinois and in, not in any other of the 50 states uh, that says that you can possess and transport cannabis in a vehicle, but only if it can't be smelled. Mm -hmm. And we, there's no legislative history supporting that odor proof requirement. Right. There was not a single state representative who stood up and said, you know, this is my bill. I've introduced this bill to make it a crime to possess transport cannabis in a, a non-odor-proof container. And here's why. 
No one ever said that. No state senator got up and said, the odor proof requirement's important for such and such a reason. Right. Um, so me, call me a cynic, I think it's just a skeleton key for probable cause. It's just a yeah. probable cause generator for police. Um, and uh, before you accuse me of being conspiratorial uh, or you know being a, a whack job who thinks that <laughs> this is all some dark magic to give police probable cause... I've seen it. Mm -hmm. I've represented people and taken their cases uh, through the court system who got charged with more serious crimes only because the police said that they smelled cannabis. And not because the police said you have illegal cannabis. Right. Or not because you have too much cannabis. Or not because you're high on cannabis. Mm -hmm. But because I can smell it and that's it. So uh, that's where we're at right now in Illinois. Yeah. And I hope it changes. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. And uh, I mean, just to put a finer point on that, something you've mentioned and I've experienced is independently. So I don't think it can be totally chucked up to anecdote. If you've purchased a product from a legal dispensary, those containers are not odor proof. Not even close. So, yeah, you know, um, like Cresco Labs is a big one. I don't know if you want me to. Uh, it's fine. If you care if I name drop, but... Um, some of their cannabis that I've bought before is in a glass jar. It's like a it's like a little glass jar that you might like get a cosmetic in. Yeah. It's a glass jar with kind of a, a plastic lid mm -hmm. that's got the barely you barely need to push it down to spin <laughs> it to open it up. Look. Yeah, the child resistant thing is like um I think most two year olds could probably get into it, but Mm -hmm. Whether they can operate a bong is a different question, <laughs> right. but it's not, this is not something that you'd like transport nuclear material in. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of glass with kind of a rough thread on the screw top and like a kind of a loose fitting plastic cap. Right. You put that in your car, even if it's 70 degrees outside and come back in a half hour, you can smell it easily. Mm -hmm. And if it's 90 degrees outside, it smells like, you know. Cheech and Chong's <laughs> lowrider. It's it's way over the top smelly, and this is from the arguably and not to put. I'm not trying to throw any shade on these um, on these companies that package their material that way, but yeah. this these are not like uh, this is not some fly by night uh, back of the trunk drug dealer. This right. is like the major licensed dispensaries in Illinois still haven't figured out how to make this stuff odor proof. Mm -hmm. um, now, what's weird and kind of ironic is that um, I read a lot of police reports as part of my job. Yeah. And uh, these state troopers and some sheriff's deputies are insistent that a component of the law is that the marijuana remain in its original dispensary packaging. Yes. They're insistent on this. I've they say that. in every police report it was not in its original dispensary packaging. Mm -hmm. That is just a totally made-up rule. That doesn't have any basis in the written law of this state. Right. But presumably, if that really is what they think, which is not what the law says, presumably, if Cresco or one of these big um, dispensary companies were to start packaging marijuana in like a mesh paper bag, mm -hmm. uh, the cops would think that's fine. Yeah. So I don't, we've got an enforcement problem, obviously. Um, and We've got an education and training problem for the police who think that original dispensary container is part of the rules. Right. Um, but who's not getting any shit for this 
are the companies that should arguably be the most um, <laughs> on top of the rules. Yes. So, um, it, and, it's and they should be at the front of the line and changing these rules, in my opinion. Right. You know, and making sure that they're not fucking ridiculous. Yeah. That well, we're, we're playing by the same rules they play by. You know, so you got guys like me who have to write these bills and submit them <laughs> to the legislature. And I'm happy to announce that I wrote a legislative proposal. Yes. For striking out that odor proof language mm-hmm. and it got introduced as a bill. So it's in front of the legislature right now. And hopefully, hopefully the um, general assembly, the members look at it. I mean, they have a lot of bills to review, but hopefully yeah. someone However, the sausage is made. Someone whispers into the ears like, this is kind of ridiculous. Let's yeah. vote yes on HB 1206, I think. Cool. Um, hopefully that changes, but I'll guarantee you one thing. It's going to mean a lot less probable cause searches of vehicles in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, you know, if I know anything about the police lobby and the sheriff's association, they're going to push back against it. But unfortunately for them, I... I suspect there's not any argument against it other than we're going to be able to search a lot less vehicles because odor proof. I mean, there's no, there's no expert. There's no one in the country mm-hmm. who could argue that um, the odor of marijuana is a harm in and of itself, <laughs> right. you know? So the requirement that you're the requirement that you can have, weed and you can have it in your car and you can drive around with it but that's not okay if an officer can smell it mm-hmm. should raise everyone's eyebrows you know why would anyone why who i don't know who wrote odor proof into yes. the law but at some point a bill was written by somebody maybe right. a legislative drafter in springfield someone wrote the word odor proof in there mm-hmm. and i suspect because I'm a cynic, I suspect that the reason they did that is because they knew that it would allow the police to continue probable cause searches for marijuana. Yeah. Because if you think about it, um, let's like go, go back to like uh, 2015, before legalization. Mm-hmm. How were most people getting in trouble for marijuana? The smell. I mean... In their cars. Yeah. Probably. I don't know. I don't have statistics, but I'm assuming that most people who got busted for weed possession got busted driving on the road, not like in their living room. Sure. Because it's harder for police to interact with people when they're in their living room. You have all these extra rights, uh, fourth amendment rights. They need a warrant and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there's people, their kids might smoke weed down by the pond on the picnic table and a cop could roll up on them then. But, But I would imagine my unscientific guess is that the vast majority of people who got busted for weed in Illinois got busted in their vehicles. Yeah. And so we did this whole legalization thing and someone very secretly slipped in like, don't worry, the vehicle thing's not going away. That's <laughs> that. Don't worry, police. That's still going to be your main thing. Don't worry. You're going to be able to bust anyone for any marijuana in their vehicle whenever you want. All mm-hmm. you got to do is smell it. Right. It's the one thing that's like, subjective like there's there's no question about sealable and resealable like right there's no question about child resistant i mean there could be a question of whether or not that's necessary but as far as like the concept most people get it 
Right. Well, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I think the difference is, um, it's subjective in the sense that, you know, uh, a police officer, you can't go, you can't, if you want to have a trial, mm-hmm. if you're accused of having that marijuana in the odorless container, right. Um, say, say a police officer says everything's good with this container, but it's not childproof or it's not child resistant. You can go have a trial and have a jury sit there and look at the container and yeah. decide whether they think it's child resistant. Sure. Um, or whether it's sealed or resealable. You can't really replicate that with odor. Right. So the officer might say, well, I smell it. And then you get to trial. And what do you do? You, you mm-hmm. bring in some marijuana to the courtroom, put it in the container and seal it up and guess and tell everyone, smell this, ladies yes. and gentlemen of the jury, and tell me if you can smell it, if it's odor proof. And then they can say, well, it was, you know, it was uh, different conditions and, uh, you know, the odor proof thing is uh, pretty clearly to me designed to do one thing, and that's to allow police to continue searching vehicles based yeah. on the smell of marijuana. So in that sense, legalization hasn't changed anything. Yeah. Um, you know, they might find the marijuana and find, oh, well, this is under the legal limit. So this person legally is allowed to have this much marijuana. Oh, but we can still charge them with a crime, mm-hmm. which is the... Which is, um, it's, it hasn't gotten enough attention, I think, for the way it really, you know, gives with one hand and takes with the other. Yeah. Because um, it's not just about getting the key, uh, getting permission to search. It's then, you know, if we search and we don't find anything, mm-hmm. well, at least I have that smell. Yeah. So that's the crime there. So at a minimum. Mm-hmm. Even if your search doesn't turn up anything, at a minimum, you can then say, okay, all I'm going to do here is charge you with a misdemeanor, a class A misdemeanor punishable by a year in jail. Hopefully they did the right thing and repeal that dumb law. Yeah. I don't know. It's just insane. And I, I got to ask, like, so it sounds like the odor proof thing is what you see most often. Yeah. Um, I've seen other iterations of it where, well, here's here's also, you know, if I'm being totally candid. Yeah. Most people don't know about that law at all, sure. much less the odor-proof component of it. Mm-hmm. So most people think Illinois is a legal state. Maybe they've learned how much a person is allowed to possess individually. Sure. And so they'll say, okay, I got, you know, under 15 grams or, you know, if, I, if I'm an out-of-state resident, I've got under 15 grams or, you know, I live here in Illinois. I've got my 29 grams. I'm good to go. I'm going to go on this camping trip. Mm-hmm. Um, to my buddy's lake house. I'm going to bring my weed with me. And they might put it in a jar or a bag yeah. in their backpack. Maybe it's in the trunk. Who knows? But most people don't know that most people haven't read that law. With mo- As with most laws, most people haven't read the <laughs> sure, law. Sure. And so, uh, candidly, a lot of the time that someone has been nabbed for an odor-proof or a non-odor-proof container, it also happens to be like a mason jar which mm-hmm. isn't child resistant sure, or some other, you know, container that before this rule, no one ever thought was problematic for transporting weed. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, you put it in a bag and <laughs> right. take it from point A to point B. So, um, it's not so much that I'm seeing all of these, uh, offenses where it's a, uh, like, um, a child resistant sealed or resealable container that 
just isn't odor proof. Yeah. But the odor is what gets the police in the, the car things. to figure out, oh, this isn't child resistant either. Mm-hmm. This this is in a mason jar. And I would never be able to, I would never be entitled under the Fourth Amendment to learn of that because right. I would never have been entitled to search the car unless it was for the smell, which is the only thing I gotcha. can know or detect from the window. Gotcha. Yeah. So the odor proof thing still matters in every case. Sure. But, I mean, the bottom line is, like with a lot of laws, people don't know the law anyway. Because who's doing that research? It's not like there's a public ad campaign right. about, here's how you can lawfully transport marijuana. Mm-hmm. Which gets into a whole bigger problem of just over-criminalization of stuff in general. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Like the child-resistant thing, like... Is it child-resistant for a 15-year-old? <laughs> right. You know? Like, and if, if you've got some flour in a child resistant container and like a four year old gets to it and you think they're going to eat it. Right. Or <laughs> now maybe if we're talking about brownies, I mean, I guess you can think sure. of these hypotheticals, but sure. a lot of this is just like, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, uh, the thing everyone was worried about with legalization was. People are going to be driving around high and be killing people on the road. Mm-hmm. And so the legislature wanted to go really heavy on the whole vehicle stuff yeah. to kind of appease that crowd, which, I mean, sometimes that's what it takes for the sausage to get made. But mm-hmm. uh, in the grand scheme of things, um, if you were to put on one end of the scale how many children have been saved from ingesting marijuana compared to how many people who maybe are down on their luck have just gotten fucked by some, by this criminal law. Mm-hmm. Maybe had to miss work, maybe got fired, maybe got put on probation, got a criminal conviction, right. lost their license. I would guess that the harm of the law has outweighed any benefit that it's provided. Sure. As with many laws, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. like, I mean, let's be real. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, so the odor proof thing is something I definitely hear and read about a lot. Um, but one of the other things that you mentioned that I feel like specifically out of staters get caught with and maybe confused with is the fact that they have a possession limit that is half of what you and right. I, as an in state resident, have. Because I mean, most states it is kind of standard. First of all, I just want to say that possession limits in and of themselves I think are stupid because. What does it mean when you exceed the limit? Criminal penalties. Thus, the war on drugs continues. Okay, but setting that aside, most states have a standard of an ounce. We have 30 grams, which is interesting. It's like a little bit over an ounce. I don't know why. But uh, I'm just curious, do people get hit with like uh, either out-of-staters or in-staters? Do you see that at all or a lot? I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, like... As much as I want to uh, portray this issue in the simplest terms to benefit my position, a lot of the times, you know, someone is committing an offense on multiple levels under the existing like, cannabis rules. Like um, an out-of-stater has 16 grams in a mason jar. Mm. So, they, you know, they've got the wrong container and they've got one gram more than they need. I, I don't see a lot of those. Um, because 
I, I suspect that there's probably it's probably somewhat common for the police who find um you know, maybe someone from Indiana has sixteen grams. I don't know this for sure. I haven't seen a lot of those and I can only suspect that maybe there are cool cops out there who are reasonable sure. and say like, you know, go on your way and maybe I'm gonna take this and bring it home. Um, but I'm not going to make a criminal case out of this. Um, but yeah, there's under the law right now. Um, if you're from out of state and you have over 15 grams, you're busted for a real offense that has real jail time. Yeah. And one of the problems with that is that targets the people who are least likely to know the law. Yeah. Because they're from out of state. You know, I've gone to Colorado, Washington, California, Nevada. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and in some of those places I've partook in their legalized marijuana, but like, I didn't, I'm a lawyer, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. Mm -hmm. I didn't like go look up the uniform (laughs) code of Washington and like make sure, you know, I mean, it's a pretty ridiculous proposition that anyone would do that. I can't imagine, you know, if you're a, lawmaker or a congressman or a sheriff who goes to some state where there's legalization and you want to legally participate that you're going to look up their code. Right. Um, so someone from Indiana who comes over here and wants to buy some marijuana and has more than they're allowed to have. Um, this is a theme that I've repeated every time we've talked. It's like, Okay, have the rule, mm-hmm. but like, goddamn, if they if they have more than they're allowed to have, and so someone from, you know, Petersburg, Indiana, has sixteen grams, and the person in Danville has sixteen grams. The rule is one thing, but like, if the rule is enforced through a criminal proceeding that threatens to put the person from Petersburg, Indiana into jail. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong. Make it a fine only offense or like, I guess, I mean, if you want to make it, a, fa- I don't sure. think you should make it an offense at all. Sure. But if you do want to make it an offense, like, do we really have no tools other than criminal law? Right. You know, give them a ticket. Uh, but we, you know, this comes back coming full circle to the tightrope I talked about. It's like, all of these criminal laws still exist. Mm-hmm. They're all still enforced. They yeah. all still are. If you fall off that tightrope, if you're from Indiana and you've got your 16 grams, which yep. you're not allowed to have because you're not a resident, and you fall off that tightrope and you've broken a rule, like shame on you, I guess. Mm-hmm. But to fall back into the criminal law, the pre existing criminal law that uses jail time and probation and fines. Yeah. Um, high fines as, as a mechanism of enforcement. It's just, we're not being progressive. Yeah. Like we're saying we're progressive as a state on cannabis, but we're obviously not living up to that. If our only tool for enforcement is criminal law. Yeah. It feels very much like a smoke and mirrors, uh, maybe that's not the best way to say it, but kind of like a showtime version of progressivism. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, uh, hey, guys, look at how progressive we are. Right. You know, that's not what progressive means. I mean, you can give, uh, you can like prioritize giving craft grow license to people who have been incarcerated. 
that might be a brand of progressive, but it's not like mm-hmm. if you really want to be progressive, stop taking people um, and imposing the for, full force of the state's criminal law on them for something that I guess the state's decided is not that bad anymore. Right. Right. That's the thing is it's like, why are you legalizing marijuana? Is it because you've concluded that it's not as bad as we've always thought it was? Uh huh. Okay. So if that's the reason, if it's not as bad as we always thought it was, do you, do you realize that we're still using incarceration and, and criminal penalties right. to, to punish it? Right. Like, well, you, it, you make that connect those dots. <laughs> it's one of the things you brought up in our most previous episode that I thought was brilliant and I return to all the time. One of the first couple of things that you read in the CRTA, the Cannabis Regulation and Tax Act, which, by the way, that's a much better way of putting it. All that law did was helped us regulate and tax cannabis. Well, at least they weren't. They didn't call it like everyone's. They didn't call it like we're done with marijuana. <laughs> right. Marijuana's tomatoes law. <laughs> yes, or the world's gonna be a better place because we legalize marijuana law. Like they were pretty for, forthright in saying this is going to regulate and tax cannabis. It was yeah. a pretty big selling point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so but the first two things, like you said, that they point that they've kind of led with in the law, and I'm going off the top of my head, but it's like in the interest of uh, making sure that public safety resources can be allocated towards things that they should be for lack of better words. And again, I'm off the top of my head. Uh, well, they say the, the war on drugs has harmed people. Yes. Basically. I think they acknowledge that criminal yes. penalties for marijuana use have caused a disparate harm to such and such yeah. people. And so, which is true. Right. But, and then they say, so we're going to look into regulating cannabis like alcohol. And it's like, I'm going to say, so I'm going to, this is the question I just wrote down for you. I wanted to ask, First of all, I already know the answer to this question. It doesn't seem to be regulated at all like alcohol. Uh, mm. Maybe it's also taxed like alcohol or something. You know, maybe you can draw those comparisons. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you that I think I've probably asked you in the past, but like, can you think of something akin to a possession limit for anything else? Like, is that some, somebody has said maybe there's something with cigarettes and if you bring it from a place with like different taxes that... If you get caught, maybe they can get you with that. But like, is there anything of, similar? I so I'm a criminal lawyer, so I don't know about like import and export. But there's a I I, I think there's probably a ton of rules on quantity as it relates to taxing and tariffs, okay, and licensing and stuff like that. So like in Illinois, uh, I know that if you own a bar or restaurant, you can only get your alcohol or your liquor from a licensed supplier. And it can't be in a bottle more than like a liter, I Mm. think, or maybe 750 milliliters, but that's solely for the purpose so that the government can get its cut. Sure. I assume that if you break that rule, you're not facing criminal laws, right? It'll be like a business penalty maybe or something. Right. Which is what I've said. Like, look, if you want to tax marijuana, I get it. I get it. Like, I'm not arguing that there should be this whole industry in Illinois that doesn't have taxes. Um, But it's, as far as I know, the only industry in Illinois that if you cheat on your taxes by having more than you should or growing your own in your basement or whatever, instead of them being like, okay, this is a tax issue, we're going to like give you assess back taxes or we're going to make you pay a penalty. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, 
straight to jail. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not like anything else in that sense where there's these possession limits, but it's not treated as like a business offense mm-hmm. or a regulatory offense. It's treated as like, you're a criminal. Like you need to go to the place where rapists go. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, rapists, and, like you say, any violent offense and it's like, and I know people go to prison for taxes too. I'm not sure. saying that like, I'm not, I'm not, act, I'm, I understand that there's a lot of regulatory tax stuff, imports, whatever, where, um, if you really, if you're really uh, dishonest and you really cheat the government, <laughs> sure. you can go to prison. Like you can be locked in a cage. Right. Um, but for whatever reason with marijuana, that threshold is like immediate. Mm-hmm. There's no like, okay, let's do an audit. Let's like, maybe we can settle this up and like, I can pay you. You can garnish my wages or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, you're going straight to jail, buddy. Yeah. There's no, there's no buffer. Even though the offense is when you possess. So for instance, when you're a, uh, you're a resident of Illinois and you possess, um, it's a bad example. I don't even know. So like, let's say you're, you're a resident of Illinois and, uh, you grow your own marijuana mm-hmm. in your basement or something. Yeah. Um, and you don't have a license to do it. You're not a medical right. person or, or maybe you, you've grown a bunch of marijuana and you are a medical, uh, you're allowed to grow it and you give it to your neighbor because mm-hmm. you have more than you can use. Um, that's trying to remember where I'm going with this. What makes it different than like, uh, another taxable thing Yeah, is that, uh, I don't know. I remember, I'm sorry. I, I lost my train of thought. So, <laughs> it's okay. um, when you have, uh, like a, you violated your taxes, you've imported more sure. you know, sesame seeds than you're allowed to, and you didn't pay the tax on it. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you sold these uh, lawnmowers or whatever and you didn't pay the tax or you bought them and you didn't pay a tax or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's treated as like, hey, the harm you've done to the government is that you've cheated us out of our money. Right. And the penalties are typically proportionate to like, you've cheated us out of our money, come on. Right. With marijuana though, it's treated like the harm you've committed is like, class X felony territory. Right. Like, like you, you've endangered people. Mm-hmm. Like this is a dangerous drug because we're still operating on all the old laws that existed before we acknowledged that mm-hmm. it's not that dangerous. Absolutely. So unlike it being treated like, uh, the crime you've committed, the harm you've done is like, you've made a business offense. Mm-hmm. It's treated like, um, uh, or you're, you're dealing heroin or, or yeah. something like that, which is a, what makes it a totally unique outlier? It's like in this limbo between regular old, um, a regular old product that's taxed and regulated mm-hmm. and like this dangerous, dangerous stuff that yeah. uh, needs to, that we need the criminal law because, um, people who commit these crimes really need to be treated seriously because they're, they're hurting people. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've like half committed. It's like if you're doing like a, if you're like a professional diver and you're at the top diving board and you kind of like get, you know, cold feet, right. As you're going into your bounce, right. it's like, that's the worst thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. Like don't go half, like don't go or go all the way. But like this little half zone where we're in, where it's like, 
um, you know, the, the people who have, I think we talked about this last time, someone who has a dunk truck of marijuana right. can do no more harm than someone who has a backpack full of marijuana. Right. You know, and, and, and that's not just my take on it. That's consistent with what the government says. The, you know, the state of Illinois says, like, this is something that people should be allowed to do. Right. Anyone who's over 21 who wants marijuana should be able to get it and basically smoke you know, as, as much as you want. Now, there's possession limits, but like sure. smoke to your heart's content. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a dump truck of marijuana, you're, all you're doing, all you could possibly do with that, assuming you don't give it to kids and assuming it's not like poisoned or adulterated, sure. assuming it's just regular old marijuana and you're giving it to people over 21, mm-hmm. the worst thing you can do with that dump truck of marijuana is allow people to do something that they're allowed to do anyway. Right. And so to treat it like, oh, well, it's a, it's a dump truck of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, the penalty for having the dump truck of marijuana that you're not allowed to have should be commensurate to like, here's how much of our tax money you're screwing us out of. Yeah. Because that's the only identifiable harm. Exactly. Because the identifiable harm is not that people, now you've introduced a dump truck of marijuana to these people and they're going to, you know, the community's going to have all this marijuana they can now smoke. Yeah. Because that's how it is already mm-hmm. under the government's uh, notion of things. Sure. But the penalty is like, if you have a dump truck of marijuana, like you can pretty much assume that you're going to be treated as like a rapist in terms of the, yeah. in terms of the penalties that the law sets out. Yeah. And the huge thing that, that I love to point out, um, is that, I mean, we really are, and I kind of alluded to it earlier. We really are playing by two sets of rules in a way. And I know that there are many different ways that you could maybe point that out in our society like it's not like this concept is new that corporations in many ways have more rights than an individual right but just to the extent of like dump truck of weed and stuff like i mentioned earlier like first of all you're absolutely right there's actually a report uh, i'll have to send you a link for where they did a comparison between the transport law for opioids and the transport law for cannabis and this is like federal, well, I'm talking federal, not even state, but it did apply to the state of Illinois. And a, D, a former DEA person who's now a consultant on these issues and um, like a former pharmaceutical employee both testified to the fact that whenever they transported opioids, there was no requirement. They could throw it in their front seat. They could put it in their backpack and ride a bicycle. Right. You're talking um, about like a prescription pills and stuff? Right, if yeah. they were like uh, delivering it to Walgreens and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Right, so they can, that, that's, that's totally within the framework of the law from what I understand. Like, it, basically what the DEA consultant said is, if you've proven that you can transport this substance safely to the endpoint, then it is completely legal. In other words, do it however you want, including the mail, and you're all good. Meanwhile, cannabis companies, now I'll give them this, they are more regulated than the opioid companies, right? So in this report, it showed how there's cameras on all the vans that transport cannabis. There's a GPS location that lets the companies know if they get close to the state line. But here's my point. I bet you they fill up that fucker as, as they just pack that motherfucker full, like as much weed as you can fit in it. Yeah. 
you know, and it's just funny that if they got pulled over, they'd be like, well, I've got this piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. It's not nuclear material. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. and that's actually what they said is that it's kind of being treated like nuclear material. Yeah. The reason why we have these crazy rules is because back in like the early part of the 20th century, the government created this boogeyman stigma of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if... If everything had been the same in our world, except mar- no one had ever heard of marijuana, <laughs> right. it was like a non-existent thing. And then some company like, I don't know, some vitamin company said like, we've developed this plant, um, some like little green nuggets. You can also make it into like pills or paste or whatever and put in chocolate. Um, and here are the effects it has. And, you know, we've done decades of studying and here are the you know, overdose statistics, there's none. Right. Um, here are all the, you know, all the negative consequences and all the health effects and the health benefits. And, um, this is everything you need to know about the drug. And, uh, they said like, we want to start distribution. Um, could you imagine how weird it'd be if it was like, well, that's okay, but you have to keep it all in a locked vault. Mm-hmm. You have to keep you know, cameras on the truck uh, we're going to have all these special distribution limits. Um, we're going to limit the amount of uh, that people from out of state can possess. Everyone would be like, "What the fuck? Well, yeah. Why are you doing that?" <laughs> right? Like this is a great like this is a great new thing. I mean, maybe it's not everyone's cup of tea, and maybe there's some negative consequences of it. But like, Jesus Christ, we don't need to treat this like we're transporting like plutonium or something. Like, right. what are we doing? This is so weird. <laughs> yeah, but that's the reality we're in. Yep, because marijuana's got a long history. And even though if you look at it, even, you know, you have so many people, the old cliche, I'm sure you've heard this a billion times is like, well, today's marijuana ain't what it used to be. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, even taking that is true. It's like much stronger. Like <laughs> the more you treat it, like it's like, uh, what's like the, from the transformers that look cube or whatever titanium like, i think is what sort of something you, yeah. you're treating it yeah i don't know i don't know the transformers movies but you're treating <laughs> it like man if only the you know the terrorists could get their hands on this we need to put it in an armored car and like have all these possession limits that just all the bad stuff that people are worried about with marijuana that just keeps it going exactly it's it, like and i like your point where you say it's like we're kind of talking out of both sides. I don't mean, even mean to say kind of. We are talking out of both sides of our mouth where on one hand we're like, this is good. This is fine. You should not belong in jail for it. But <laughs> yeah, but we're going to treat it like but you're if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, you belong in jail for it. And yeah. a point you've made, which I wish I could pull up uh, the text you sent me because it was just so beautifully worded. Uh, something that's changed since the last time we've spoken is that expungements no longer require uh, a negative cannabis drug test from what I understand. They no longer require that. And I like what you had to say about it. Do you remember what you said? If not, I can kind of give you a rough idea. You were, um, you were like, you can use marijuana because it's not bad. But as long as you're not using marijuana because it's bad. Because it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah. That's Pretty accurate. I mean, that's the approach they take. Yeah. So, and when I say they, I mean, a lot of this has to do with the fact that I feel like if you were to ask individual lawmakers, 
Like, what do you individually think? A lot of them would say, I think marijuana should remain illegal. It's a Schedule One narcotic under the federal law. Who are we to say that they've got it wrong? It's all, you know, all these negative effects, whatever. Prohibited, we need to make it illegal. And there's a lot of other people, like if I was a lawmaker, I'd say, look, everything, every policy we've ever had towards marijuana since day one has been caused more harm than good. Treat it like tomatoes, make it legal. Um, you know, if people are letting their kids smoke it, mm-hmm. that's a different thing. Get DCFS involved. Like there's ways to deal with all the negative consequences sure. that don't require treating it like a, like the illegal drug has been treated as forever. The problem is there's not one lawmaker at the Capitol building. Yes. They all have to compromise and they have to come together and they have to appease, you know, the police lobby and the growers lobby. And that's, I mean, I'm not ignorant to the fact that like you have to make compromises and you kind of have to make sausage to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. Um, But now that it's, now that we have the laws on the books, uh, we can start tinkering with them to make them make more sense and be better. Yeah. Um, and hopefully the people who are holdouts or who um, are just abolitionists or, or I should say, pro, sorry, prohibitionists. Yeah. Hopefully some of those people start to say like, look, okay, if it's going to be legal, maybe it shouldn't be a crime if it can be smelled. Mm-hmm. And so then we can start kind of pairing, you know, kind of polishing the the sculpture we have here to sure. kind of, you know, smooth away the rough edges that make it dumb. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that there are powerful interests that want it to be a reason to search cars, to go into people's houses, to exact huge street value fines. Yeah. And I think that, you know, part of it is the, the possession limit thing, just because there, I can't think of an analog. I can't think of a, a, a thing that is legal, but isn't if you have over a certain right. amount of it. Um, I have to think that not only is it, you know, like you say, a skeleton, part of the skeleton key that allows this criminal justice thing, this, this, uh, uh, what is it called? The prison and the prison industrial complex. It keeps that going, you know, can provide for that. I also think that possession limits allow. It's easier to talk about this in the, the context of the, in the number of growers in the state and allowing home grow. But I really think that they want people to keep a low amount so that, you know, the value of cannabis stays exactly where it is. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. You know what I'm saying? This is like, well, can you think of an analog where there's ever been something other than maybe alcohol at the end of prohibition, but where there's ever been something that's been prohibited and it's a widely known, like a popular thing that's been prohibited that then has been legalized which gives the government a total um puppet master authority over creating an industry yes like it's i mean it's really communist in a lot of ways because it's the government controlling Mm -hmm. you know every nook and cranny of the industry and 
supply and demand and well, uh, to your pricing. Point, like I don't mean to take us too far off, but just to your point, cause I feel like it's so relevant and it's, you brought up communism. So uh, I don't, I, this, okay, let me just say the point and I'll back up for a second. But, uh, JB Pritzker recently defended license limitations in a press conference. And he said, look, I know people have said, just give out licenses like you do with everything else. But in states where you've seen that, you've seen people forced to the edge and it's a, they got to compete. Like, you know. And he said, so by limiting the licenses, we are allowing social equity to happen. And so when he said that, that's when I realized, oh, yeah, the purpose of license limitations are only to infl- artificially inflate the value of the supply and the license itself. Like that is the function. Right, yeah. You know, but it's yeah. really in the spirit of communism where it's like, and actually I, I'm not studied enough on communism itself to say this confidently, but from what I understand, the government picking and choosing winners and who and who can't be in business is never a good, I think, never a good a idea. A planned economy. Yeah. yeah. And it I sounds mean, in line with communism. Yeah. <laughs> so. it, because it... It is. I mean, I know the C word is inflammatory, but I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree that like the state controls the means of production essentially. And yes, the government gets to say like the reason I felt, I felt a little, I felt if you saw me back up from like communism, it's because we've got a few other topics on the docket today. A lot of people will call, you know, a lot of people will call JB a communist for for many different reasons. This is like I feel like one of the most valid ones, though. Yeah, no, like, I, and I don't, I'm, I don't um, blame the governor for anything he's doing as far as this goes. I mean, it's he's operating within the laws that exist, and he didn't write the law. That's another right. important point. The general assembly did and it went to his desk now he's the number one endorser and he's constantly praising it but right he's again, a company wait. man so um any other thoughts on on you know just cannabis itself before we uh start to uh get to some of these other subjects no, cool. no I'm, I'm good cool um well i guess just this might be a quick one before we get to maybe the t- the safety act and the assault weapons ban which i'd like to discuss with you but uh i heard you took a peek at the cure act and i just wanted to ask you now we have to i have to like say this clearly for my audience i don't know that i support the bill yet as it stands because i've not i don't completely understand the bill i've not read the full thing and so people listening should do that you know, they should do that. Um, but at a glance, I wanted to ask you about the descheduling component from what they've told, from what the people that are responsible for writing the bill and people that are like kind of championing it. The, one of the things that they told me that sounds so fucking cool. Look, look, I'll be straight up in saying that I think the industry component of the bill, AKA the legal option, it sounds like they're going to try to do exactly what they did with cannabis. That's just, it sounds like that. Now that's just at a glance. I need to do more research, but let's set that aside right now. I may have a problem with that part of the initiative, but so I feel like I was a little bit vague in this exchange. And so I wanted to take a moment to try and clear things up a little bit. As I understand it, the cure act has two main components, the descheduling component, which we're about to talk about and the supported adult use component. 
And in this exchange, I felt like I was a little bit too vague. And I said, it's going to be exactly like what we did with adult use cannabis. Uh, fundamentally, it's going to be uh, not like that at all. What I meant to say. So this is me clearing up or trying to clear up what I had just said. Um, what I meant to say was that I get the impression that in order to be an operator in this in the industry that this bill would create, you're, you're going to need to be politically connected, well-capitalized, et cetera, et cetera. That's what I meant with regard to the similarities to the adult use cannabis program. The person that I'm referencing speaking to uh, is Nathan Gates. So I reference a person that I asked questions to a few times in this exchange. That person is Nathan Gates, and he was just on the Chillinoy podcast. It's episode number 249. I put a link to episode number 249 in the description for this episode of the Chillinoy podcast. Let's get back to our conversation with defense attorney Evan Bruno. This part that people have been telling me about, the descheduling part, sounds so cool. And I just was curious on your thoughts. So really quick, from what I've been led to believe, the descheduling psilocybin would effectively remove all criminal penalties for possession, use, and cultivation, which is pretty fucking crazy because cannabis, we didn't do that. Uh, yeah. So, so what are your thoughts on that? Um. I, I have not read the whole bill. So I, yeah. here's what I can say. There's the Illinois Controlled Substances Act, which currently, uh, as far as I know, is the only word on psilocybin mushrooms in Illinois. And they're on a schedule, or they're one of the schedules of drugs, and the law has, you know, here's penalties for manufacturing or possessing or selling schedule schedule such and such drug if it's descheduled it's no longer criminalized under the controlled substances act because the controlled substances substances act only applies to controlled substances mm -hmm. that are on the schedule of controlled substances if it's taken off the schedule it's removed from the controlled substances act yeah but i'm guessing and this would probably be pretty easy to figure out if i look it up but i, I didn't get all the way through the bill I'm guessing that the Cure Act has somewhere in there such and such shall be a class A misdemeanor, such mm. and such shall be a class four felony. Yeah. So I'm guessing that it's uh for it to be a law worthy of a bill and a name like the Cure Act, mm -hmm. it must now have it must now impose like a new scheme for psilocybin and yeah. for all that. And if we know anything about the way these laws are typically written, the only way to enforce those rules, the only <laughs> leverage to make sure that the citizens of Illinois follow the new scheme is to penalize not following it with criminal penalties. So I'm guessing that even if it's descheduled, taken off the controlled substances list and no longer prohibited by the Illinois Controlled Substances Act, mm -hmm. it probably is creating its n new uh, criminal penalties for violating it. And to your point, one of the questions uh, I was about to say I had, but it really came from our audience, um, was if an individual, because that's one of the things they said, you know, you can, 
you can use it, you can possess it, and, and you can cultivate it without any fear of criminal penalties. But And they mentioned you could gift it, but one of the things they were explicit about was you can't sell it. And again, what does you can't mean or a limit mean? It means, like you just said, criminal penalties. And so I asked them, like, well, then what would happen? Who, who's them? Uh, this person, I should, yeah, thank you for asking me that. This person is from the Illinois Psychedelic Society, and they're kind of backing the bill. And so he joined me to explain and try to answer my questions, and that's one he could not answer. He said he had to get back to me on. I said, you're saying people can't sell. Okay, what does that mean? And he said, well, I'll have to get back to you. So I think to your point. So maybe the bill is just like a free-for-all. But if it's mm -hmm. a free-for-all, then... What I'd wonder about is, see, I don't, I haven't, I don't, I don't yeah. know. Well, enough, we but... can chalk it up to, we need to take a deeper look. Cause that's, yeah. that's why I led with that. I wanted to make sure, very clear that, you know, we're not complete. I wanted to totally approach this at a glance. I, I really, it sounded, it sounds like though, if, if what they're saying is true, if you took it off of the CSA, the controlled substances act, theoretically it could be true, but like you say, it, if you be, wanted to make it a free for all, yeah, you would just do like a control find all for wherever psilocybin appears in the Controlled Substances Act, <laughs> and you would introduce introduce a bill that says the Controlled Substances Act is amended as follows, mm. and then you have the Controlled Substances Act, and you have a crossed out line through anywhere psilocybin appears. Gotcha. That's all you'd have to do, and that would be that would mean that psilocybin is the equivalent of tomatoes now. Like, yeah, just, you can grow it in your backyard, you can grow it in your basement, you can sell it, you can bring mm -hmm. it to the farmer's market. That's what that would mean. But the Cure Act sounds to me, what is a compassionate use of something or another? Yeah, re something research, entheogens. So if yeah. they're setting up a whole system for psychedelics now, or for mushrooms now, mm -hmm. there's got to be some teeth to that to make sure. That, you, know, you can't set up a system like that unless you have penalties. Sure. Well, and as many or people, incentives. I was about to say the incentives, you can already see people, I mean, in a, in, in an NBC report, and I'm not saying this person isn't doing good things. I have no idea who they are and what they do, but this person that's running a ketamine clinic already, and it's a really nice looking place. They're ready to get into psilocybin, right? So there's already people geared up. And like you say, there's definitely some incentives. So that's definitely chief on my mind. And sounds like on my audience is mine too which makes me happy because it fe it makes me feel like we're learning something from cannabis yeah let's just hope that let's just hope right let's just hope that people uh, the people who make the decisions are kind of self-selected to not be the kind of people who are who probably ever done psychedelics sure or, or at least <laughs> would ever admit to it sure you know yeah. That's the problem with this. So you have a lot of self-selection in the people who ultimately get to make the decision. Mm -hmm. So hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. The fingers crossed. That'd be cool. I mean, there's a whole, uh, Michael Pollan wrote the book, uh, your mind, um, how to change your mind yes. about psychedelics. And, um, there's a lot of research out there. There's a lot of like really good reason to think that, um, it's helpful to people. Yeah. And, and a lot of good reason to think that at least it's not harmful in the sense that it needs to be Criminal. prohibited yeah. as a con you know, controlled substance. So, yeah. So if we move before we move on to the next couple topics, which is the Safety Act and assault weapons ban, that's, I think, a good way to cap our conversation about drugs. It's something you mentioned earlier. 
And it's something that when you watch, like, uh, unfortunately, like cops and all that stuff, it's very much part of our entertainment cycle. You know what I mean? There's literally a show called cops and there's a show called jail. And, um, it's so crazy when you see some kids that look like me or, you know, whatever. Um, but I just identify when I see like another young person and it's like, they're, they're in jail with these people that have like hit their wife or assaulted somebody at a gas station or sexually assaulted somebody. And it's like, really, this is, first of all, it's like not conducive to rehabilitation, but let's set that aside. Like really we're putting this person with these people. Yeah, I agree. Like, well, it's culture, it's culture control. Yep. It's important. Yep. Not to get too preachy, but yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, the, there's not an argument to be made that like the person's like of equivalent dangerousness to the yes. people they're in jail with. Right. Um, but the thing they've done is so bad that we need to treat them as just as, Cultural. just as in need of being punished. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. Very well said. Well, which one do you want to talk about first, uh, safety act or assault weapons ban? Well, they're both not totally stayed, but they're both kind of, they exist in the hypothetical now Yeah, because, well, the safety act is stayed at least until March by the Supreme court. Yeah. And, uh, the assault weapons ban is stayed in half the counties, I think. I'm not pretty, totally sure about that, but pretty I know big that, chunk of the map though. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or either stayed or the sheriff said, I'm not going to enforce it. We mm-hmm. can talk about the assault weapons ban. Cool. Well, I, uh, I mean, politically, I kind of neutral on it. I mean, I don't think it's, uh, going to make a whole lot of a difference. Uh, most people I think who, I mean, I know that people can legally buy assault weapons and we've seen that people who can legally buy assault weapons will sometimes do horrible things with them. Um, I'm not necessarily opposed to the ban. I'm, Assault weapons are pretty dangerous, and they can be used to kill a lot of people in mass shootings. Uh, but I don't. And I, th- if, th- if I were on the Supreme Court of the United States and the issue came up to me, I'd probably say it's constant. It is constitutional to ban assault weapons because, uh, under most theories, you know, they did those didn't exist. Nothing even like those really existed back when the Second Amendment was ratified. I guess you could say the same thing about, you know, semi-automatic pistols. But I personally, you know, if I was voting, I'd say it's constitutional. Um, Where do you draw the line? Mm -hmm. You know, we don't let, I don't think most people would argue that you should have a right to bear, you know, an M1 Abrams tank or a, you know, F-15 fighter loaded with Hellfire missiles. So, like, there's a line somewhere. I don't know why an assault weapon should be on the legal side of the line constitutional, constitutionally. Um, the uh, A lot of people have talked about the sheriff's enforcement or non-enforcement. Yeah. Um, this is, like, a great window into just, like, how people's positions can change. Can, People's positions on like a legal issue mm-hmm. can very transparently depend on their political leanings from one issue to the yep. other. Yeah. So like basically there's 
um, county sheriffs, I think I saw, the most recent thing I saw was that a majority of Illinois county sheriffs have come out and said, I'm not going to enforce that ban. And a lot of people from the anti-gun side of things are just up in arms and outraged at, you know, this is a dereliction of duty and they don't have a right to do this. You know, I think the governor said like, enforce it or you're out of a job, which right. he doesn't have authority to right. to do. <laughs> but um, what people, I, th- I think what people sometimes forget is like, you know, we have, adultery is illegal in Illinois. Yeah, It's against the law. There's a criminal penalty on the books in Illinois for adultery. There's a, it's a crime in Illinois currently in the year of 2023 to possess obscene writings. It's a crime. Really? But, and, and you know, our, our, you know, thankfully, um, our state's attorneys and sheriffs and law enforcement has decided we're not going to enforce that law. It's probably unconstitutional sure. to ban obscene writings. Um, the, the Illinois Supreme Court hasn't said that it's an unconstitutional law. Mm-hmm. Um, there hasn't been a case, as far as I can tell, invalidating the whole law. But we kind of trust our elected officials to say, like, I'm just not going to enforce that law. And, and that's why we have elections. Right. We don't want them to be automatons. We want them to exercise some discretion. Mm-hmm. And we just spent a long time talking about, you know, police smelling marijuana in a car and maybe it'd be better off if they just let that one go and Mm -hmm. didn't arrest the person. And so this is no different from a legal standpoint, right? From a political standpoint, it is, you know, politically, a lot of people say I'm anti-gun. We have a problem in this country with guns, mass shootings. I totally agree with that. I'm just saying legally, the sheriffs can decline to enforce any law they want. Sure. It's not something that the people can redress other than, through elections. So I wanted to ask you, I've, I've got a lot of different ways to go with this, but I know that, you know, we're short on time, so I want to be mindful of it, but, um, I'm just curious. So the, my first question, it's hard for me to like, think about which like the best way to approach this, but it's interesting. What do you think about the idea that firearms are similar to cannabis Hear me out. You can okay. grow them in your basement. Okay. 3D printer. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. Um, and, you know, many people argue that it's a civil liberty or whatever. And that's about where the comparisons end because obviously a firearm is very different than cannabis itself. But on that, on the idea of, like, prohibition, do you think that it's possible to, to do that given that it's very similar to cannabis. You know what I mean? To prohibit guns. Yeah. Do I think it's possible because of, it's well, like, it's almost like the cat scene. Like there was a time where it's like, well, you'd have to have a milling machine and it's like, it was a really intense. Oh, process. you mean like you're, you're talking about like logistically, like, can you outlaw them? Well, I mean, you can just make it illegal to have a gun, whether you made it in your basement or not. Fair. Um, and then if someone shoots someone with a gun or goes out in public with it, mm-hmm. they can't say like, Hey, I made this in my basement. Go <laughs> right. Back. Right. Um, but I mean, if, if you're ter- in terms of like 
people acting outside of the law. Mm-hmm. No, we've crossed that Rubicon. If, if you sent, um, government agents to, uh, you know, search every house and remove every gun, say you appeal, you, you repeal the second amendment, mm-hmm. the, all the people of the various States vote to repeal the second amendment. We no longer have a second amendment and the state of Illinois passes a law that says you cannot own a gun period. Right. And, um, where you know we've had we've repealed the fourth amendment and the government's allowed to go in and search everyone's house and remove every gun and we've removed you know we've repealed the fifth amendment which (laughs) you know prohibits takings without just compensation so they Mm -hmm. just take everyone's guns so we've done all those things Uh, do we i guess we could also um criminalize 3d printers and then let the government take those but as long as you have those as long as you have the ability to make the gun in your basement, mm-hmm. um, there's no legal force that could ever be effective in like eradicating guns sure. once and for all. There's always going to be a drip, yeah, a drip, drip, drip of, mm-hmm. of guns. Now that that was just like a superficial question. Like, really, when it gets down to it, and this kind of you can see where the spirit of my drug advocacy will come into play and everything else. One of the it, one of the concerns I have about the law is that it specifically carves out that law enforcement can continue to possess and purchase these guns. Which I guess I should back up. It's not that people, if you already have the weapon, you could keep it. Right. You got to register you, it. You got to register it. Which but. is just like the most. If you were to try to piss off the Second Amendment crowd, right? Well, you got to like, register it with the government. <laughs> yeah. That, that way to get under their skin. Yeah. Right, and it's like they're already. I've heard the different perspectives. They're like, we're already on a registry, the FOID. Why do we need to, right. you know, and I, I, I guess I can get that, but I am kind of curious what, what you think about that. Like only so law enforcement can have it. Former law enforcement can still to continue. Look, what do you have any thoughts about that? Former or, law enforcement. I believe, I believe on that one. I, I could, I could buy that. I don't know. I mean, if I think the law en- law enforcement should be able to have a lot of things that regular people can't have access to like databases, even mm-hmm. though those probably get abused a lot, um, <laughs> bulletproof vests, um, riot tanks, I guess. I don't know if that's something you need a license for, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I'm think a- champagne has one by the way. So I, I guess they do. They called it a tank when they first got it. Yeah. That was before that had like a negative connotation. Like, no, don't, <laughs> right. don't tell everyone our city police are getting tanks. But it was really just like a personnel carrier. It didn't mm-hmm. have a turret on it with like a cannon. Sure. Anyway, sure. Um, the, the um, I think a big Second Amendment crowd, or the, the thing that, the, that a lot of Second Amendment people say is we need our guns to protect ourselves from the government. Right. Which is like, uh, I don't, I don't, and that's, I don't by reject the way, that's, that out of hand. I think there's that's kind of the spirit of that question, yeah. right? And so there's like this mismatch worry, yeah. But it's also you know if you take it a couple steps further, it's like, um, okay, so you're you are uh, wanting, or you're basically preparing for war in the streets against the government. <laughs> And also, like, do you know how? Do you know what, what drones are? Exactly. Or like, it's not even a gunfight anymore. <laughs> yeah. Or do you know what like an A ten warthog can do? Right. Like in a neighborhood, like they could literally just fly over you. They don't even a, have to engage you with weapons. They could just fly over you and blow your eardrums out. 
just saying. Yeah, it's like it's it's, it's like a kid saying like you know. Uh, mommy and daddy i need my teddy bear because if there's gonna be a fight i need backup it's like okay that's cute and all but that's not going to help you if, if it push comes to shove so don't give me this thing about the government now flipping that totally going and doing a 180 on that it's like jb pritzker is not advocating sending the police to take everyone's ar-15 yeah because he probably knows that that wouldn't go very well that no. would be I would assume that if it was announced that the Illinois State Police are going to go door to door and take everyone's assault yeah. rifle, there might be some problems. Right. Violence <laughs> might ensue. And so in that sense, they got a point, you know, that um, we need to be a threat to the government or else they're going to come try to take our freedoms away. Yeah. Maybe there's something to that. I mean, I'm not I'm not taking a side. I I think there's merit to both sides. Um, and that's that's how I'm discussing this, too. Like, I, Here's what I'll say about assault weapons, and then we can... Because we, I know we're, we're wrapping up here. Uh, sorry. No, it's all good. Uh, my thing, that a, a very interesting argument that I've heard, and it's... So you've brought up a point, which is like, these weapons, they can enable mass murder, and they're very efficient at that, and... And everything else and people are basically like why would anybody need something that powerful but then on the other hand i've heard if i'm in a place where i need to defend myself i want the odds stacked unfairly in my favor and so i'm like man we're caught between like two really solid arguments you know what i mean I, but i do call bullshit on the idea that i that anybody not you know that we like to do a lot of role playing like the, 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 i think <laughs> yeah. like the kind of uh pro-gun crowd and i own guns i'm not anti-gun but the real you know like the give me liberty or give me death type right. guys who like have the Cosplay. decals on their car and stuff <laughs> yeah they are living in a fantasy that no i, I might need to use my assault weapon to defend myself mm-hmm. the only way that that would come into being is if there's a war in the streets and uh, I guess I'm just not willing to live in a world where I think that that's right around the corner to the point where I need to have this assault weapon. I, I, I don't think it's healthy. I think it's like, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. If you think that you need this very dangerous tool uh, because you might need to get in a like rifle fight in the mm-hmm. streets. <laughs> right. Because you're not using it in your house. You know, if right. someone's people get shot breaking into people's houses, you know, or like at the drugstore trying to rob someone, they get shot all the time. It's never with an AR-15 right. unless it's a mass shooting. So, you know, you see these videos pop up every once in a while where like brave ex-veteran um, shoots armed assailant in heroic move. That happens. Like sure. I'm not trying to demean that, but it's never with like, all right, I'm going to take my AR-15 off my back and like use my rifle. Mm-hmm. It's always a handgun or maybe at home, a, sometimes a shotgun. But I feel like the AR-15, the arguments of like, I need this for self-defense, it almost always feels a little Civil War-ish to me. It's always like defense of like our county when the tanks roll in. Yeah. I don't know. It's a little bit of like, all right, buddy, this is like you're living in your make-believe world. You know? Yeah. Better well, go update your uh, K rations in your basement too. make sure those haven't expired. 
<laughs> right, right. For the uh, for the end times. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of end times, uh, a lot of people have predicted that the Safety Act would be uh, the end times. You like that transition? That was good. Um, uh, the purge. Yes, the purge. What's the term? Yeah. Um, the Safety Act is a terrible law that was poorly written and hastily passed. Um, it is trying to achieve some, I guess, noble goals. It's trying to like, I should say it's trying to end certain problems that are legit problems. Yeah. Um, but it was just such a poorly executed bill. And it, I mean, the, the biggest thing, as far as I understood it was bail reform and, uh, the end of cash bail. And that's a real thing. I remember, I'll never forget being in a traffic courtroom and seeing a woman led in by the sheriff who had her court date that day, and she had the belly chains on, you know, the leather belt around the waist with her hands handcuffed, scared to her waist, and she had the leg shackles on, and she waddled in, and it was like she had like a $200 bond and didn't have the $200 to pay it. And so all the people in the courtroom that did have the $200 just walked in in their khakis and watched this woman shackled. And so that sucked. That is a problem. Like we should never have people who are locked up and literally manacled like, like Hannibal Lecter because they can't come up with a hundred, 200 bucks. Right. Because that's not a finding of there's no dangerousness element there. It's just like we're punishing you for being poor. Mm-hmm. So that's something that should be fixed, but the safety act is not going to fix that because I mean, it might fix that. Maybe that situation that I observed that one time wouldn't have happened under the Safety Act, but it's going to shift all of that um, over-incarceration just to another side of things. So, you know, I'm touching, like, barely scratching the surface of what it does. A lot of what it does, you know, there's you have the right to a hearing, um, the judge needs to make findings about your dangerousness. And then it says, well, you, if, if it doesn't go your way, you can immediately appeal it to the appellate court. And I think that the estimate was, this was going to create another 5,500 appeals a year, something like that. It's, it's, it's like something that someone wrote on the back of a napkin when they were mm-hmm. drunk and it became a law. Yeah. And so all of these judges who are going to have to be enforcing this and, public defenders and prosecutors and private attorneys like me um, come December 31st of this past year when the Supreme Court announced that it was staying the bill or the act. um, All of us were like, holy shit, here we go. No one knows what to expect. This is going to be crazy Mm -hmm. because there were still so many unanswered questions and there still are. So we'll have to see what they do. Gotcha. Well, one of the things you mentioned, uh, and then we can we can close the show, uh, that I feel like was a big fear of people was, will dangerous people just be like, will the doors just open and all of a sudden people are walking out of the prison? And so one of the things that you mentioned that I felt like most people aren't aware of, and I've heard it as a counterpoint to this concern. So first of all, let me air the concern. The concern is, Oh, this law will allow pedophiles to run free and blah, 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 blah. But one of the things you just mentioned, which I hear is a counterpoint to that concern is there is a hearing and you, and it's with a judge and they determine your danger to society for lack of better words. It's 
people worried about the purge, there's just nothing to that. Okay. It's all still the same judges making the same decisions whether to release someone or not. Mm -hmm. It's just the difference now is instead of saying how much money do you have to post to get out, it's now do you get out or do you not get out? It's just a binary choice now. Yeah. And so if there's a dangerous pedophile who like is obviously a dangerous and he's, you know, kidnapped kids or whatever, what would have happened, what would happen right now, as long as the act has stayed and what would have happened prior is the judge would say, um, how much can you post? And maybe the defense attorney would say, my client has $5,000 he can post to get out. And the judge would say, I'm setting your bond at a million dollars. So the guy's detained. Mm-hmm. He's not going to come up with a hundred thousand dollars to get out or say $5 million, mm-hmm. which would require, you know, um, $500,000 to get out. That's what the judge would do now. And under the safety act, the judge just says, you're not getting out. Mm. That's the only difference. It's the only thing that's changed. And so even if they had that amount of money, if, if, if Elon Musk gets detained in Illinois mm-hmm. under the safety act and the judge finds that he's a danger, the judge just says, you're not getting out. Now there were some laws, there was, there are some offenses Mm-hmm. where not that don't require automatic detention and that was what that was what supported the whole purge narrative it's sure. like you know second degree murder you're not automatically detained really what that meant was the judge can just say you're not automatically detained but you're detained because i've found that you should be detained gotcha gotcha it's the only that's the only thing but who knows i don't even know if any of that stuff's going to apply i don't even know if the safety act's going to make it because right. the whole, the unconstitutionality argument is premised on like core, the, the foundation of the safety act, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, there's part of the Illinois constitution says all defendants shall have bail. And one of the arguments against the safety act is like, you can't eliminate bail yeah. because the constitution says you need bail. Right. Um, one of them is like whether the bill was read three times. I think maybe I'm thinking of the assault weapons ban. They're starting to blur together. But one of them is like, there's a way, there's like a formal introduction of the bill you have to do. And they're saying you didn't do that. Mm. So if that wins, it's like the whole thing's in a crapper. Yeah. Well, I think that it's, it's good that we just scratched the surface because it sounds like the state has only scratched the surface and that we'll have much more to discuss on these topics. So with that, um, I'm going to call it a wrap, Evan. Thank awesome. you so much for sitting down with me today. And folks, I hope you found value in this episode of the podcast. We'll definitely sit down with Evan again in the future. Take care. Appreciate it, Cole. Thank yep. you.